in a different way than this video did, though. This video is more focused on the, the objection or the, the, the excuses that Christians make that prevent them from walking closely with Jesus. And we've taken this, the idea in a little different way, focusing more on the objections that people have about the Christian faith. Uh, but today is the last day or the last step in our series on big buts that people have about the Christian faith. Today, though, is slightly different than the first five that we looked at. Today, our big but is this. But Christians are so hypocritical. This is a bit of a personal issue for many of us because the first five buts that we looked at were more objectives. They were more intellectual in terms of the questions that people raise about the Christian faith. But this one comes straight at the heart of the lifestyle of Christians, saying that there's something about the way that many Christians live that is very unchristian, that is very hypocritical. This, this honestly is not a very heartwarming topic. It's not a very fun topic. But this series is not meant to be heartwarming or fun, even though the title is fun. The series is meant to look at those objections that people have about the Christian faith. And the reality is that one of the biggest objections that people have about Christianity is Christians themselves. Saying that Christians are so hypocritical. A Christian author named Brennan Manning has said that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. He says that is what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, I don't know if research could back up that assertion that that hypocritical Christians are the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today. But I do know from many, many conversations with both non-Christians and Christians, there are many people in our world who have been hurt by Christians who do things that are not very Christ-like. And so today we're looking at this objection that Christians are so hypocritical. And I really have two main goals in, in what I'm sharing this morning. One is to show that, you know what? Those who, who condemn or criticize hypocrisy, they're really right. But secondly, that Christianity really offers a cure for hypocrisy when we want to genuinely follow Christ. So those are our two goals today. One, to show that hypocrisy is wrong. And secondly, to show that Christianity offers a cure. As we prepare our hearts for this topic this morning, will you please pray with me? Our Father, uh, as we come before you, ready to deal with this challenging topic, we pray that you will be our teacher this morning. I know that this can be a very convicting thing. It can be, it can be a topic that can really cause our hair to bristle and just to say, you know what, I don't like it when people say that about us Christians. But Lord, I pray that you'll give us humility, both collectively and also as individuals, to hear from your word, to hear from your Holy Spirit, that we may be conformed more to your image and that we may know how to respond in a Christ-like way when people say that Christians are so hypocritical. So Lord, we ask for your guidance in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, first of all, this morning to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few verses out of Matthew 23, um, where we're going to see that people are right to condemn hypocrisy. They're right to condemn hypocrisy. Now, you may be thinking, okay, people shouldn't condemn hypocrisy. They shouldn't say that Christians are so hypocritical. I think it's natural as humans to, to want to push back whenever someone says something that, that offends us or makes us uncomfortable. But the reality is, 
that I think that people are right to condemn hypocrisy. And as Christians, we should be careful not to immediately push back and say, you know what, you shouldn't ever say that, that the Christians are hypocritical. And one of the reasons I say this is because, you know what, there are many things that Christians have done down through history that are very hypocritical and are very, very unchristlike. I think, for instance, of the Crusades in the Middle Ages where there were armies who claimed to be Christians who went out in the name of Christ, rampaging through countries around them, killing thousands upon thousands of innocent people in the name of Christ. The Crusades, I don't believe, reflect a Christ-like character. I think of the Inquisitions through the 1100s all the way through around the 1500s or so, the most famous of which was the Spanish Inquisition, where, where there was a, a panel of people, of judges, who supposed heretics would come before that panel, and those supposed heretics would be judged on whether or not they aligned with the Christian faith. And if they didn't, they would be imprisoned, tortured, or sometimes even killed. There are many innocent people, many, many people who didn't deserve that type of treatment who were brought here to, before this, this council and condemned because they were supposedly heretics. I do not believe that the Inquisitions reflected well on Christianity. It was, it was a very hypocritical way to go about things. I look in today's world, look at people who in the name of Christ want to kill abortion doctors or bomb abortion clinics. Or look at televangelists who, who pocket millions and millions of dollars for themselves and then go off running off with their secretary. You could, you could offer many other stories of things, even that normal Christians like us do, that are hypocritical, that hurt others. And so I think it would be wise if we are careful not to immediately get defensive and push back at people who say that Christians are hypocritical. I think there's a fair amount of truth at times in that. And one of the main reasons I say we shouldn't immediately push back is because Jesus himself has some strong critical words against those who live in hypocrisy. Look with me to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. There Jesus is speaking to some religious leaders of his day. He says to them, Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And what we see here is Jesus saying that these religious leaders are hypocrites. I mean, he doesn't mince any words here in calling it what it is, hypocrisy. He uses a couple of analogies here. One is of a cup or a dish that they clean the outside to make it look nice, but the inside it's all filthy. And we all know that we would not be happy if we were served food on a dish that on the inside is all filthy. We'd want that to be clean. But Jesus is saying those Pharisees and teachers of law are like that dish that looks good to those outside, but on the inside it's all filthy. It hasn't been addressed on the inside. They're trying to put on a show for others. He also likens these hypocrites to whitewashed tombs. 
Back in Jesus' day, it was very common for graves or tombs to have lime put on them, which was, um, was kind of like a whitewash that marked right where those graves were. So that no one would, un- or would mistakenly stumble upon one of those graves. The graves, when they were whitewashed, looked very nice to the eye. But we all know that inside of a grave is decay and death and, and things we wouldn't really want to be around. So Jesus says that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, are just like this unwashed cup, or these, this whitewashed tomb that look good to those around them, but inside they're all messy and dirty and, and unclean and hypocritical, but they don't want the rest of the world to see that. Jesus sums it up in verse 28, saying that outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, hypocrisy is basically putting on a show for others around you so that, so that you look better than you really are to others, so that you are pleasing them in some certain way. In churches, it's probably pleasing them in some religious way, looking more spiritual than you may really be. You don't want the outside world to see what you really are on the inside. And so you put on a mask, metaphorically speaking. You try to hide. That's hypocrisy. And really, when you look back at the history of the word hypocrite or hypocrisy, it had a meaning of being an actor or an actress. Uh, hundreds of years before the time of Christ, that's what that word meant. You, you have an actor or an actress who goes on a stage to put on a show or a play. When, when you act, you typically don't act in your normal character or in, or in your normal personality or role that you have in regular life. When you go on the stage, you act like you're someone else. But then when you come back off the stage, typically you revert back to your normal lifestyle. Now, an actor or an actress in that context, for many hundreds of years before the time of Christ, they were called a hypocrite. They, they put on a mask to play a part, but that was just while they were on the stage. But over time, that word hypocrite began to evolve to have a very negative meaning of someone who tries to put on a mask to the world around them, who tries to hide who they really are. Really, they, these hypocrites look, look at the whole world as their stage where they don't want the world to see how they really are. Instead, they try to put on some persona, some mask that, that hides their insecurities and pride and greed and, and hypocrisy inside while outside projecting a good image. Now, I think there are also some misunderstandings at times among Christians of what hypocrisy really is. Hypocrisy is not simply uh, claiming to be a Christian and knowing how a Christian should live, and sometimes failing to live up to that standard. That's just called the Christian who sins. That, that's all of us. We all have some degree of, of sin in our lives from time to time. And it's not hypocritical if a Christian sins, if they don't try to hide that and try to put on a good image to those around them. If, if a Christian owns up to their sin and says, you know what, I was wrong to do that. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you put on a mask and try to hide your sin from others around you. Now, we may have the question of why would Jesus be so strong in condemning hypocrisy? We've already established that Jesus is condemning hypocrisy, but why is he so strong in his statements against hypocrisy? I think really the reason is hypocrisy poisons everything in a person's life who's living hypocritically. It poisons everything. Hypocrisy poisons our relationship with God because we're not dealing with our sin in a healthy way. We're not receiving God's love and forgiveness as we ought to. Hypocrisy poisons our relationships with those around us because it doesn't allow us to be real with others. 
Instead, we're just putting on a mask. And we're even trying to fool those around us by putting on that mask. And by trying to fool those around us by not being real, it doesn't allow us to connect authentically with others. And it deceives them and can almost, and it can really hurt them at times. Hypocrisy even poisons us as individuals if we're living hypocritically. Uh, because it skews who we really are. It, it oftentimes builds up uh, an increasing insecurity or, or just ter- inner turmoil, lack of peace inside of us as we know that we are living a lie. How many of you have ever bit, bitten into a bad apple? Raise your hand. I, I, for the last 10 years, have been eating an apple pretty much every morning as part of my breakfast. It's just been a routine, so I've eaten... Uh, I've calculated several thousand apples during the last 10 years or so. I like apples a lot. I've had two specific experiences that I remember with really bad apples. I'm not just talking about an apple that has some bruises on it. I'm talking about an apple that immediately when you bite into it, you spit it out reflexively. You don't even think about it. You just spit it right out. I, I remember right where I was when I ate or bit into these two apples. These were apples that about an eighth of an inch around the skin was good. So on the outside, it looked really, really nice. I bit into it. On the inside, it's all brown and mushy. It has, there, were, there were worms in these two apples. I mean, there were some nice, ugly worms. And I had these in my mouth. And so you can see why you immediately spit those out. And I can remember exactly where I was when I ate both of these apples. They looked so good on the outside. But then right when I bit into them, I knew this is nasty. And, and I'll never forget where I was. It made me wary for weeks to come. Every time I'd pick up an apple, I, I resumed eating apples the next day. But, but I was very cautious on that. I, I was very uncertain of, am I going to get another bad apple? But I believe that's a good picture of what it's like when non-Christians in, encounter Christians who are living hypocritically. They may try to look good. On the, Christians may try to look good on the outside. But when someone gets a taste of what's really inside, of, of the greed, or of the gossip, or of the anger, or the, the, the grudges that are being held inside, or something else that's ugly, that the Christian's trying to cover up, that leaves a bad taste in the mouths of non-Christians. And that's why you see so many non-Christians saying that Christians are so hypocritical, and I don't want anything to do with that Christ if that's what he's all about. So Jesus is not a fan of hypocrisy. He is really on the side of those who condemn hypocrisy, even if it's among Christians. One of the things we need to recognize, too, though, is that hypocrisy is a very, very powerful temptation. It's a temptation to want to put on a front to make others think that we are better than we really are. It's especially powerful in religion, including in Christian churches. It's really, as I said, powerful, though. It's a powerful temptation everywhere we go to want to make others think that we are better than we really are. And Bill Hybels tells a very interesting story. Bill Hybels is a, a pastor down in the Chicago area. He tells a story about a colonel in the Gulf War back about 20 years ago in the early 90s. And this colonel was recently um, promoted to that new role, and he was given a new office. It was a makeshift office at first during the Gulf War. And, and he moved into that office on the first day. He was settling a little bit. And out of the corner of his eye, this colonel saw a private walking down the hallway towards him carrying a toolbox. And he, he thought, he, he just instinctively spun his chair around, picked up the phone, 
and started talking on, into the phone, saying, General Schwarzkopf, so good of you to call me. Thank you for calling and thank you for talking with me about what your plans are. I, f- I fully agree with what you're saying there. Um, you have my support. Feel free to call again anytime if you have plans that you want to run by me. Uh, thanks, Norm. Bye. And he hung up the phone. He turned to that private who was standing outside his door and said, And what can I do for you today? Private said, You may be able to guess. I'm here to hook up your phone. I'm here to hook up your phone today. He's caught in the act. But you look at what that colonel did and why he did it. And I, I can see some of myself in that as well. You probably can as well. If we don't, like, for instance, we want to appear busy when someone comes by our office or by our cubicle. We, we want to look better to others than we really are. We don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be caught doing nothing. We don't want to be caught doing something that maybe doesn't make us look that busy, doesn't make us look that good in someone else's eyes. But that's what hypocrisy does. It oftentimes is as simple as just busying ourselves when we see someone coming down the hallway or maybe telling a little white lie that, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's something just to, to cover ourselves, uh, to shift responsibility away from ourselves when we think we might get in trouble or for, for something. Someone may not like what we do or say about something. That's what hypocrisy does. And this hypocrisy is especially powerful in a religious context like a church. Because, say, taking our church, for example, we, we serve a holy God who expects his people to live holy lives. Holy meaning set apart, meaning righteous. There are certain standards that Christians biblically ought to live by. For instance, living above reproach living faithfully to our spouses if we're married, caring for our children, being sexually pure, being generous, being forgiving, being patient, being at peace with those around us and with ourselves and with God. There are those certain standards that we are expected to live by. And that's not to mention how oftentimes it's thought that reading a Bible on a regular basis is a good thing and praying and sharing the gospel with others. We have this long list of, of moral items that we feel like we should live up to. And that's not even to mention other items that, that sometimes Christians impose on other Christians or on themselves that aren't even biblical. Things like, oh, you shouldn't dance if you're a Christian. Or you shouldn't play cards. Things like that. You, you should wear your dresses down to your ankles all the time. Or you should always put on a happy face because that's what God expects of you. There are any number of regulations and rules, some biblical, many not biblical, that Christians feel like they have to live up to. And that that creates a very ripe environment for hypocrisy. Because we all know that we don't always um, live up to those standards. That we don't always feel like putting on a happy face. That sometimes when we're driving to church in the morning, we have an argument with our spouse, or we get mad at the kids. Yet we walk in the door, and we feel like it's expected of us that we, when people ask how we're doing, that we say, I'm doing great or I'm doing fine, and we put on that happy face. Churches are oftentimes a ripe context for hypocrisy because we feel like we need to live up to a certain moral standard. We need to live up to the rules that those around us are placing on us. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God says that people judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's so easy, though, to ignore the fact that God looks at the heart and instead want to be people pleasers looking at those around us, trying to win their approval 
And that drives us as Christians to put on a mask, to hide the ugly stuff in our lives from those around us. There's a uh, contemporary Christian musical group called Casting Crowns that has a very powerful song about this topic, about hypocrisy among Christians. I want to read you a portion of this song. It's, It's a song called Stained Glass Masquerade. And it starts out saying, Is there anyone who fails? Is there anyone who falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part again. You hear the hypocrisy there? I'll play the part again. I'll put on that mask. So everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our our weakness and smiles to hide our pain? But if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. He's saying that when he looks around the church, he sees people who appear so strong, appear so happy. And so there's a pressure to do the same thing, to put on that shiny plastic smile trying to make others think that we are stronger than we really are. He says towards the end there that that there is a way out of this stained glass masquerade, but the way out of it is openness with others and confessing to others, you know what, I don't have it all together. I'm not as strong as I appear on the outside. He says that is the way out of hypocrisy. That's the way out of the stained glass masquerade. Hypocrisy is ugly. And I think that it's important that we as Christians own up to the fact that at times we can be hypocritical. It's not just those people out there, those people we see on TV with picket signs or bombing abortion clinics or doing crusades hundreds of years ago. All of us are hypocritical to some degree or another. So people are right to condemn hypocrisy. But I want to make one very, very important point when people raise this objection about Christianity. That's that hypocrisy among Christians does not disprove Christianity. Hypocrisy among Christians does not disprove Christianity. Let me give you a couple examples to show that. Think of doctors. There are some doctors out there who are found guilty of malpractice in their medical profession. But their malpractice does absolutely nothing to invalidate the principles of modern medicine. Now, if you find a bunch of doctors involved in malpractice, there may be some behaviors that need to be addressed there. But the malpractice of certain doctors does nothing to invalidate the principles of modern medicine. Or take a a different hypothetical situation. Imagine all the mathematicians in the world are, are greedy, they are rude, they are immoral, and they don't care for anyone around them. This is purely hypothetical. I don't believe that's true. But imagine that that was true that all the mathematicians in the world were jerks. Does that disprove the fact that one plus one equals two? No. No, the mathematicians have some problems in their own lives, but there are mathematical principles that hold true regardless of what the people who believe those mathematical principles, what those people do with their lives. It's the same way with Christianity, that the lives of Christians cannot prove or disprove just based on their lifestyles, whether or not Christianity is true. It can leave a bad taste in people's mouths, 
But as we've been talking about all through this Big Butt series, there are some solid objective truths about the existence of God and the truthfulness of Christianity that stand firm regardless of what the followers of Christianity do in their lives. And that points to an important point that every single person in this world will at some point let us down if we put our ultimate trust in them, except for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only person who's ever lived who is completely sinless, who is completely without hypocrisy in his life. And so we need to point people not to our own lives as far as an example of what to follow, but to Jesus Christ. Because he lived a perfect life. He will never let anyone down. And he offers grace and forgiveness even when there is hypocrisy and sin in our lives. So hypocrisy among Christians can never disprove Christianity. It can leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And for that reason, it's important that we look to the cure for hypocrisy in our lives as well. And the cure... We're going to look at that in 1 John chapter 1. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. The cure that we're going to see for hypocrisy is to apply the gospel to our lives. The gospel is the good news that even though we are sinners, Christ died for our sin to pay that penalty that we deserve so that we could be cleansed of that sin, forgiven completely, and made whole once again, both in this life and especially in the next. That's the gospel. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 2, where John writes, If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what we're talking about right here is that the cure for hypocrisy is to apply the gospel to our lives. I want to look at a couple different aspects of that in this passage, starting with the second part of this passage. In the second part of this passage, we see that hypocrisy hides sin, but the gospel deals with that sin in a redemptive way. We see in verses 8 and 10, someone who is claiming, claiming to be without sin, saying, you know what, I don't have sin in my life. This would be a person that if you come up to them and ask them about some particular sin in their life, they would say, no, I don't, I don't have a problem with that type of sin. This may be a person that if they recognize that they have sinned in some way, that rather than confessing it to God or to others, they try to hide it. They try to cover it up and prevent those around them from seeing that sin. So hypocrisy tries to cover up and hide the sin in our lives. But the gospel is very clear in saying, you know what? We do sin. We have sinned in the past. We will continue to sin. We're going to have sin in the future as long as we are living life on this earth. The gospel is not afraid of pointing out that we do have sin in our lives. But the gospel deals with that sin. The way it deals with it is, first of all, by taking it to the cross through Jesus 
to deal with it once and for all by paying the penalty that, that we deserve for our sins. But secondly, we can deal with that sin in our own lives through confessing that sin. Verse 9 of John, 1 John 1 says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confessing sin is a key to receiving God's love and forgiveness, a key to making us whole and reducing hypocrisy in our lives. Think about, uh, think about it this way. Imagine you have a door that God's on the other side of the door saying, you know what, I want to come in to your life. I have so much love for you. I want to forgive you every sin. I want to wash you clean. But we're on the other side of the door, and if we are living hypocritically and denying our sin, whether it's in one area of our lives or, in our, or in, our, in our entire lives, we're basically holding that door shut and saying, God, I don't want you to come into this area of my life. I want to continue to cover this up. The only way we can receive God's full love and forgiveness is to apply the gospel to our lives by confessing our sins. Saying, you know what? I am messing up all the time here. Opening up the door and saying, God, come in. I want to experience your love and your forgiveness. That's how God wants to deal with the sin in our lives. Now, that's, that's the first thing in this passage I wanted to point to, is that hypocrisy hides sin, but the gospel deals with it. The second point is that hypocrisy destroys healthy relationships, but the gospel restores them. Hypocrisy destroys healthy relationships around us, with those around us. When you're living hypocritically, you're really putting on a mask. You're not allowing others to see who you really are. And oftentimes that hypocrisy manifests itself in very unhealthy ways through gossip or through grudges, through lack of forgiveness, or through lying or, or other activities that really hurt those around us. And when we're living in hypocrisy, we're, we're trying to hide who we are, and it prevents people from really knowing us. We're inauthentic. And many times, Christians can be the most inauthentic people you meet because we're hiding. It's so easy to hide behind that mask as Christians. There's a, a Christian author named Rebecca Pippert who writes a very interesting story. Uh, she, she's written a number of Christian books. She tells a story uh, about one day that she had. She was attending a, a graduate-level psychology class at Harvard University during the day. And then later that evening, she went to a Christian Bible study near that campus. And she found it very interesting to compare the experience she had at each of those environments. First of all, at the graduate-level psychology class at Harvard, she went in there and found that the students there, they were talking about issues in their lives. They were very, 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 very open about their weaknesses, about their sins. Uh, they were saying things like, you know, I'm really angry at this person. Or, I'm really frustrated. Or I don't like this. Or, or I just feel really unsettled right now. So they were very open about the problems they had in their life. But one of the things she observed about them was that they really didn't have great answers for how to resolve those problems in their life. They knew that they should forgive someone else who's hurt them, but they didn't know how to forgive that person. Then a few hours later, she went to a Christian Bible study near the Harvard campus. At that Bible study, she found people who had all kinds of answers from the Bible about dealing with life's problems. But she found that people were not very open at all about the problems they were dealing with in their lives. She said that the closest anyone came to sharing a problem was that they were struggling with something and would like prayer. They didn't share details about what they were struggling with. And, and I think that this is a very common thing among Christians that we oftentimes don't share, especially with other Christians, what's really going on in our lives. We try to hide it. 
But trying to hide those things not only makes for unhealthy relationships with others because we aren't real with them, it also makes us unhealthy inside and it makes for an unhealthy relationship with God. It doesn't really reflect well on Christians in terms of how non-Christians view us because the world is looking for real people who are honest about our struggles. But also, they're looking for hope and that hope is only found in Christ. That's one of the reasons that in our mission statement as a church that we clarify that we want to be um, a, a gospel-centered community that connects with one another authentically. We want authentic connections with each other where we are real about the struggles we're facing, about the sins that we're dealing with. We're real about what Christ can do for us, but where we aren't hiding anything from those around us. Now let me ask you a question as we wrap up this morning. Is the church designed to be more like a hospital or more like a museum? You see, if the church is a hospital, the church is a place where people who are hurting can come in and find relief, can find healing. It's a place where people, if they want to find help, they actually need to admit that they have something they need help with. On the other hand, if a church is a museum, um, people are coming there uh, to see things that look all nice, that are on display for others to see. I believe that the church is called to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Even Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 5, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. This shouldn't be a place where we come and just put on happy little smiles and say, oh, everything's good. It should be a place where we can be real with those around us, share what's going on in our lives, and find healing through the application of the gospel. I want to share four brief action points for how we can be a place that reduces hypocrisy and is a place where people can find healing through the gospel. First of all, drop the attitude that we, we have it all together, that we know it all, that we are better than others because we have Jesus it's easy for Christians to have that sort of attitude, and that's one of the reasons that people accuse us of being hypocritical. But we need to drop that attitude. Secondly, examine our lives. Find out, are there areas where we're really wearing a mask, where we aren't living with integrity? The goal is that the way that we act here on Sunday mornings is the same that we act in our small group sometimes during the week uh, with other Christians. It's the same way we act in our home life during the rest of the week. is the same way that we act in our recreation. It's the same way that we act in our workplace. Ideally, all those areas are integrated in terms of living the same way and applying the gospel in all of those contexts. So examine our lives. Thirdly, be real with others. Don't try to hide who we are, but be real with others about the challenges and the struggles that we have. And finally, call people to Christ, not to some moral code. This is one of the ways that hypocrisy can breed itself is when we are calling people to live in a certain way, but we aren't really calling them to Christ. Instead, call people to Christ. He'll, he'll deal with our baggage in his timing. Call them to Christ. Don't, don't say, um, apart from calling them to Christ, don't say you, don't, you need to live up to this list of rules and regulations. Call them to Christ. For in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness and healing. Now my prayer, as we wrap up this whole Big Butt series, is one that we will know why we believe what we believe as Christians. That we can defend the Christian faith to those who raise objections. 
But secondly, that we will be a place here at Freedom's Church where people, no matter what their background is, no matter what their questions are or their baggage is, can come and find grace and healing and wholeness through the gospel. And that we can be a place that is not judgmental and not condemning, that is open and welcoming to point people to faith in Jesus Christ. My goal, to use the big butts analogy, is that we will be people who help reduce the number of big butts in our community around us. Let's pray. Our Father, as we wrap up this big butt series and wrap up this topic of hypocrisy, we recognize that hypocrisy is an ugly thing in our lives. We know that we all have various degrees of it. And God, I pray that you will be at work in each one of our lives, identifying those areas where we are putting on that mask and not being real with those around us. And that you will help us to find a healing and wholeness and integrity through the application of the gospel. We thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And Lord, this morning, as we gather our tithes and offerings, we pray that you will use these offerings to spread your gospel around this world. We pray especially for our missionaries, uh, Brian and Dana Phipps in the Middle East. We pray, Lord, that you will be powerfully at work through them to spread your gospel around that country. And we pray for them as there was an earthquake in their country earlier today. We pray that you will give them safety and open doors for the gospel there. And God, we also pray uh, in our own midst for the Schlenvoet family as they grieve the loss of Joanne this week. Please bring a sense of peace and comfort to them. We also lift up Dan R. Helger praying that you will bring wholeness and healing to his life. That his leukemia will go into remission and that he will get the bone marrow transplant that he desperately needs. We thank you for your grace and your love in Jesus' name. Amen.